Amen. My sin ends where grace begins. And if you don't get excited about that truth that she was just singing about, something is, and I'm not trying to be funny, I'm not trying to be coy, something's really wrong with you if you're a believer. I'm in awe of you. We're gonna read about that even tonight. Uh, If you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah chapter number six, turn to Isaiah chapter number six and hold your place also in the book of second Chronicles chapter number 26. We'll be in both and kind of parallel each one, but just I wanna say once again that that song That song means something to the believer that it doesn't make sense to anybody else that's not a believer. And you hear what I said, what I opened with? My sin ends where grace begins. And because of that reality, because of a number of other realities, the fact that he is God, the fact that he is worthy, the fact that just him him and his own being without the cross is worthy of our praise, but the reason that I'm in awe of him is because what he did on the cross for me. What a truth, that's wonderful. Thank you for singing that, Abby, I appreciate that. You're in the book of Isaiah, chapter number six, and if you've been with us, uh, great. If you've not been with us, let me bring you quickly up to speed. I won't take long, I promise, and do a lot of review, but uh, this is the fifth lesson or fifth message in the series that we've entitled, Shattered. God uses broken people. Now, if I sound like a broken record, just tune me out for a second, but those of you who are just now joining us, what we're not talking about is this. God uses broken people in that God can use somebody who's messed up, although are you not thankful that he can? And he does. He does use people that are broken, and he does use people that have been through difficult trials and difficult circumstances, but the angle that we've been taking for the past several weeks has been this. God only uses broken people. He only uses those who have a, we learned in Isaiah 57, a broken and a contrite spirit. Very simply put, God uses humble people. God uses people who have a humble spirit, or as Matthew chapter five, verse three puts it, contrite spirit and a lowly spirit, a humble spirit. That's who God uses. And so that's what we've been looking, and we've been looking at different people and different characters uh, in the Bible who God had to bring to that point of shatteredness before he could bring him to that place of blessedness. And we've learned this thus far, that you cannot experience, how many of you wanna be blessed? Not a trick question. We all wanna be blessed. You can't experience the product of blessedness without going through the process of brokenness. And so that's what we've been developing and I've been trying to help us understand as well as myself. Man, although I've been preaching at you, I've been preaching at myself. Man, the Lord has been teaching me some things about my own humility, my own contriteness and my own, my own lowliness, my own shatteredness. And so I'm thankful for the opportunity even though you've been here to enjoy it with me to preach to myself. And we could all be a little more humble, could we, could we not? If you think that you've reached the class Climax of humility, hold your horses, God might humble you. Okay, we learned that last week. What do we do when the hits keep coming? We learn, or we love, we lean, and we learn. Job experienced that. Job kept receiving the hits, one after another after another, even though he was already broken and contrite. And so tonight, we're gonna be looking at Isaiah in chapter number six, and uh, we all know this passage, but let me just give you a little bit of history on Isaiah and who he is. Isaiah is the prophet that we call salvation's prophet. He's salvation's prophet. That's the person, Isaiah, and he was come and called to testify to the northern kingdom. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the book of Isaiah really quickly. Uh, don't, don't cheat, but just let's see how many people, raise your hand if you know, how many books or how many chapters are in the book of Isaiah? How many chapters are in the book of Isaiah? 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. How many books are in your Bible? 66. They call Isaiah in the Old Testament the miniature Bible, but not just because it has 66 chapters in it, but also because the first 39 chapters are chapters that give judgment and speak of the coming Messiah. But the last 27 chapters, just like in the New Testament, it's the fulfillment of the prophecy and how the Messiah does come and then he departs for a little bit, but then he's gonna come back. 
talked a little bit about that on Sunday. Christ is gonna return, he's gonna come back. But nonetheless, Isaiah is called, he's prophesying to the broken northern, or excuse me, the broken southern kingdom. So the kingdoms have been separated. Uh, uh, in the book of Joshua, they enter into the land of Canaan, Canaan and they experience great victory, right? God brings great victory, uh, battle after battle after battle, and God does exactly what he says he's going to do, and he gives them the promised land of Canaan. But then we read very quickly in the book of Judges how there raises up a generation that knew not God. What a sad way to fumble the ball. The next generation that proceeds Joshua and his people, it says that they rise up and they forsake God and they neglect God and they separate into two kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom, that's gonna be the tribes of Benjamin and Gad and Manasseh and all these, these 10 other tribes. But then you have the two, uh, two tribes to the south which make up the southern kingdom. That's the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. So the northern kingdom remains the nation of Israel but we call them the northern kingdom to differentiate the two. The southern kingdom is gonna take on a new identity and they're gonna be identified as the tribe or the nation of Judah. And that's who Isaiah is prophesying to here tonight. So read with me. And again, I know that we know the beautiful, articulate words of Isaiah in this very first, uh, first eight verses of Isaiah. That's what we'll read. This is the first uh, eight verses of the book of Isaiah, chapter number six. And we know Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. But I want you to read it anew and afresh. And I want you to read it as though it's your first time tonight to ever be exposed to this portion of scripture, which by the way, I think is one of the most powerful passages in the Old Testament. Because it's talking about our Savior. It's talking about Jesus Christ in heaven. It's a very powerful portion. But I want you to read it with me as though it's new, as, as though it's just a fresh. And then let me give some context and then we'll be uh, done this evening. The Bible says in verse number one, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. In his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face and with Twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one carried, a, excuse me, and one cried unto the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. Verse 7. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, uh, lo this hath touched the lips, uh, thy lips, and thine iniquities is taken away, and thy sins purged. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will uh, go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Powerful passage of scripture. Very powerful passage of scripture. Has one of the most powerful statements that no doubt most of us know. Here am I, send me. Spoken by Isaiah, the prophet here in Isaiah chapter number six. You're holding your place in Second Chronicles, right? And in Second Chronicles chapter number 26, we're gonna find out a little something about the beginning verses of Isaiah chapter number six tonight. Verse number one. And in the year that King Uzziah died, we're gonna find out who that man Uzziah is. And so for just a few moments tonight, in light of our uh, series and, and our study, we've been looking at these different characters, shattered, uh, broken people used by God, or God uses broken people. I wanna talk to you about this subject in light of our series tonight. The key to shatteredness. The key to shatteredness. Let's say a quick word of prayer and we'll begin tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us and I pray that you'd speak to me and speak through me tonight, Lord, as you already have. I pray that you'd be with uh, just, just everything and all the requests that were mentioned and although that's one of the reasons why we come is to bring our, our intercessions and our prayer requests before you, the main reason we come is to exalt you. 
and to glorify your name and to sing your praises because you're worthy. As Miss Abby just saying, you're worthy of everything else because of who you are, but you're especially worthy because of what you did through your son Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank you so much again for sending your son to die and to be that propitiation for us that we can now not know condemnation. Thank you so much for that, Lord. Pray that you'd speak to us tonight in a very real way in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for reading with me and praying. So again, we've got the northern kingdom and we've got the southern kingdom. And so let me just tell you a little bit about the northern kingdom, okay? So the northern kingdom, it, it makes up again the tribe of Manasseh and Judah and Gad, or not Judah, but Gad and Manasseh. And they're, they're, they're to the north. And these would be uh, the worst of the worst, okay? In regards to the tribe of Israel and all 12 tribes, these 10 tribes separate to the north. And we're gonna realize why they separated to the north is because they have forsaken God. There's many kings that rise up in the northern kingdom and not one time do you read in scripture in the northern kingdom that they have a king who does right in the sight of God they actually do quite the opposite every single king up until this point had 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 engulfed the had, had engulfed the, uh, the 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 southern kingdom excuse me the northern kingdom into idol worship and they go after the uh, the gods of the land of Canaan and guess where it lands them captivity big shock lands them directly into captivity and so you've got the southern kingdom and so the southern kingdom, unlike the northern kingdom, although they don't have it all figured out, they're at least batting 500 at this point, okay? They've had some bad kings and they've also had some good kings. And you'll notice in scripture that every time a good king rises up and he leads the, the tribe of Judah or the nation of Judah in the southern kingdom in the ways of God, God brings prosperity. He brings economic prosperity. He brings social prosperity. And he also, we're gonna see here, he brings spiritual prosperity. But then as a king would rise up and neglect the things of God, what happens? God brings economical destruction he brings obviously spiritual destruction so some walked with God and some disgraced God as a king would neglect again uh, he would neglect the things of God you'll notice a steady decline it's almost like they're going on a roller coaster they're up sometimes they're down sometimes the southern uh, kingdom again was on this roller coaster constantly fluctuating between blessing and judgment and then as we pick up in our text right here, we see the southern kingdom is in the middle of a major crisis. Again, uh, you've got Isaiah and he's prophesying to the southern kingdom in, their middle, in the middle of an, a major crisis. Lamar, what is the crisis? It's found in verse number one. In the year that King Uzziah died. In the year that King Uzziah died, the nation of Judah has been richly blessed because of the leadership of King Uzziah up until this point because he's been somewhat of a godly king at least for a portion of time and we'll see in second chronicles that he led the southern kingdom in the ways of God and God brings forth great blessing but now we see at the beginning of Isaiah chapter number six that he is gone he is passed from the scene he's no longer with them he's passed away and so Isaiah looks up and he notices that the that the the southern kingdom's throne is empty but aren't you glad that even though the southern kingdom's throne was empty the king was still on the throne I'm talking about Jesus Christ or God the father high and lifted up that's what he says Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and so Isaiah had a new fresh perspective of who God was and where God was he had a new fresh perspective because of the death of King Uzziah where God was and who God was and a lot of the times in scripture, and I kind of I kind of just briefly mentioned it last week by way of introduction, but a lot of the times in scripture, we will read introductory verses or introductory passages, and we will kind of just blow them off. Let's get to the meat of the stuff. I kind of talked about that on Sunday. You know, in Paul's writings, he'll write a letter of salutation, and he'll start off by saying a number of things. I long to be with you. Here's who I'm with. Here's what I've been doing. And it's kind of like, okay, let's sift through all of that, and let's get to the meat of the stuff. Am I the only one? 
Do you do that as well sometimes where you'll kind of just, you'll just gloss over introductory passages or introductory verses and so uh, the same is, is, is in regards to first, uh, not first Corinthians, but the same can be said in regards to Isaiah chapter number six. In the year that King Uzziah died, did you know that that's very important? It's very important because of who uh, Uzziah was. Uh, again, Isaiah is no different, again, because Uzziah was a king who for the most part and for a duration of time led the nation of the southern kingdom, led the nation of Judah in the ways of God. Let me put it in perspective, okay? Let's imagine and let's fast forward just about a year from now and it's November 4th of 2020. What happens on November 3rd of 2020? The election. So picture with me, you wake up on, on election morning and you've cast your vote and I'm not gonna say who you should vote for. I would never do that nor who should, you should not vote for but I'll say this and this is the best counsel that I can give you is vote for someone who lines up with this book as close as possible. That's the, that's the, I believe that's the extent of the church in regards to politics and that's all that should be said is you vote according to this word and I think you're gonna be okay. But let's just imagine with me that you cast your vote like you ought to and you cast your vote for the man of, uh, the, not the man of God, but the, you cast your vote for the man that most lines up with scripture and you wake up on November 4th and the opposite person was elected into office. How are you gonna feel? I mean, I, don't, I, don't, I, I wasn't around for all of the elections, obviously, but I would say, because I have access to history, that this is gonna be one of the most important elections in the history of our country because of the issue of morality. Because it used to be that even though they might not line up in scripture, both representatives would somewhat come at least within the vicinity of this, uh, vicinity of this word, but we're finding that they're quickly departing, departing and going the opposite direction. So I'd say that this election is gonna be a very important election. Imagine with me, you wake up that morning and the person that you voted for who lines up closest to the word of God was not voted into office and the other person was. What does that mean for our nation? You could say it this way, years from then, you might be explaining to your children the debacle and the, the filth and the condition that our country is now in, and you might say it this way, the year that so-and-so was elected into office. You understand, so can you kind of comprehend? Uh, so we understand that Isaiah is writing, and they've just suffered the loss of the king who led the nation of Judah again. For the most part, he's led them in the ways of God. He's led them to be a godly nation, but now he's passed from the scene. He's gone, so this is a big deal. And in spite of the political deficiency of the southern kingdom, Isaiah saw the providential dependability of the king of glory. He saw God was still sitting on the throne. And so Isaiah has this new, fresh perspective of who God is and where God is, so much so that later, we read about it in week number one, but later in Isaiah 57, verse 15, Isaiah says this, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the hearts of the contrite ones. You know what Isaiah is saying? He's not giving secondhand information. He's not giving information that he heard someone else tell him or that he read in a book he's referencing his experience in Isaiah chapter number six right there in Isaiah 57 he says I know where the lofty one resides and I know that he resides there with the meek and the contrite and those who have a humble spirit and so it was a first-hand experience Isaiah understood here it is that the key to brokenness was found in a fresh perspective of who God was but I want us to ask this question why why is that the key? And again, I'll read it again. Isaiah understood that the key to brokenness and shatteredness was found in a fresh perspective of who God is and where God was. Why is that the key? 
let's summarize it into one simple statement. The key to shatteredness is seeing the Lord as he is and seeing ourselves as we are. Think about it, ready? The key to shatteredness is seeing the Lord as he is and seeing ourselves as we are. Could we do this? Are you ready up there, Brother Jake? Oh, you already got it up there, okay. So go to the next one. Let's look at the definition that we identified in week number one or week number two. What is the, what is the uh, identity or the statement that we formulated to identify shatteredness? Okay, here it is. To be shattered is to be stripped of our self-sufficiency and no longer living independently of God. That is where we would find most of the people we've been talking about. They are self-sufficient. They are self-dependent. They are arrogant. They're prideful and they're living independently of God. And we understand that God does not use those who are unbroken. God does not use those who are unshattered. So he wants to bring them to that point of shatteredness so that they can experience the process of brokenness. Are you with me? So here's the door. Here's the door that we're trying to enter and that is the door of shatteredness. Shatteredness again is to be shattered, is to be stripped of your self-sufficiency and no longer living independently of God. That's the door we desire to enter. Here's the key. The key to shatteredness is seeing the Lord as he is and seeing ourselves as we are. We desire to come to that point of brokenness and shatteredness. How do we get through the door? By seeing God for who he is and by seeing ourselves for who we are. So now the question must be asked, what does that look like? What does that look like? What does the key look like? Being played out in the believer's life, what does it look like? Okay, a couple of things quickly and we'll be done this evening. Number one, if you're taking notes, self will be reduced. Okay, self will be reduced. This is very interesting. Look at verse number one. Of, our cha- of, of Isaiah chapter six. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw, what's that next word? Also, I saw also the Lord. Can I get very teachy with you tonight, just really quickly? The also, okay, so the context that we might view it under would be that in the same year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah also saw the Lord high and lifted up, but that's actually not the context of Scripture. That's not the also, that, uh, that's not the translation of that word also that we ought to be looking at because it wasn't in the same year that King Uzziah died that he saw the Lord. Here's what he's saying. Isaiah is linking his experience in life to Uzziah's experience in death. Uzziah saw the Lord in death. Isaiah saw the Lord in life through this vision. So in the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord high and lifted up. It was no accident that uh, Isaiah linked the two experiences together. And we'll find out why here in 2 Chronicles chapter number 26. Are you there? Who is this guy Uzziah? Who is this guy Uzziah? We need to understand a little bit about him. Uh, uh, I'll say this about him, Isaiah, uh, not Isaiah, but Uzziah was an advancing king. He was an advancing king. He was leading the southern, the southern kingdom and he would advance them politically. He would advance them socially, economically, militarily. He was what we would call not just a good king, but King Uzziah was actually an ideal king. He was an ideal king because he led the nation of Israel and he advanced them in all of those areas. But the reason that he was an ideal king was this, for this reason. He advanced them spiritually. He advanced the southern kingdom spiritually. Uh, again, he tore down uh, idolatrous, idolatrous practices and changed the worship scene of the southern kingdom just as his father did. And what does the Bible tell us about King Uzziah? Look at verse number one of chapter number 26. Are you there? It says, then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, look at this, who was 16 years old and made him king in the room of his father, uh, Amaziah. He's 16 years old. 
Now, usually, and we can read this and deduct this from history, that the year that you would, uh, uh, you would obtain kingship would be about the average age of 32. He's half the age of most people that would come onto the scene and lead a nation in regards to the office of a king. So the question, let's, let's ask this question is, he's a young king, and probably we could deduct that he's probably an ill-qualified king or an unqualified king. He's only 16 years old. How's he gonna rule? Verse two or excuse me, verse number four, it says, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all his father Amaziah did. That's a good testimony to have, would you not say? If you're gonna lead a nation, it probably ought to be said of you, not that you are a great militant leader, not that you advance them economically or socially, but you better be said, it better be said of you this, that you led the nation spiritually, that he did right which, uh, that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Verse five, and he sought God again, a very good testimony to have. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding of the visions of God. Look at this statement. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. This is not a prosperity message and I don't want this to get taken out of control and out of context, but did you know that according to as the Lord prospers us, which by the way, that prosperity you want. You want to get in on the prosperity of the Lord. I'm not talking about uh, monetarily. I'm not talking about in regards to fame and fortune. You want the prosperity of the Lord. And that can only be found by doing things the Lord's way. You will not find anybody in scripture who the Lord prospers his way because they did their own thing. You will only find those who sought God and who did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. That's Uzziah. Again, we're off to a pretty good start. He leads, the nation of, of, uh, he leads the nation of Judah and he does right in the sight of God and he seeks God and God prospers him for it. But look at the tragedy in verse 16. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his, uh, excuse me, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went in unto the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altars of incense. So he goes in and he enters into the altar. Again, he's the king and he enters into the priest's position and he goes into the temple and he offers up burnt incense. That is against the law. That's a violation of the law and a violation of scripture. And I'm not just talking about the laws of the land, I'm talking about the laws of God. That was against the Levitical law. God said you're not supposed to enter into the kingdom, not the kingdom, but you're not supposed to enter into the temple unless you're a priest. He appointed priests and that's exactly what they were to do is they would go and have intercession to the priest and the priest would go and have intercession between the Lord in the temple. So he's violating scripture. He's violating his, he's really violating his path that he set. First he's seeking after the things of God and he's doing right in the sight of the Lord. Now he's doing the opposite. What would bring him to that position? What would bring someone again who is doing the right thing and has the reputation as the, someone who is seeking after God and leading the nation after the Lord to turn and to do differently? Back up to verse 15. And he made in Jerusalem engines, invented by cunning men, to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks, uh, bulwarks and to, sh uh, excuse me, to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped. Who helped him? Verse five, God helped him. Who helped him read the, uh, reach this position of prosperity? God helped him, what does it say? Till he was strong. Till he was strong. Verse 16, it says, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up in his destruction. You know what we could translate? We could take that word and we could translate it this way. Strong could mean this, independent. Independent. 
God prospers Uzziah as a king when he's weak, but the moment that Uzziah got too big for his britches was the moment that God removed the element of blessing when he became strong. (coughs) God again was using him, God was prospering him, but God was giving him the victory until Uzziah got in his own way. Until God, or excuse me, Uzziah got into the way of the hand of God. So let me, let me ask you this. The Bible tells us what he does. So before we talk about what, his, what he does in the actual offense, let's ask a question. And I want you to raise your hand if you know it. Uh, there are three offices in the Old Testament. There are three offices in the Old Testament. Who can tell me one of them? High priest. I'm looking for a second one. Come on, it's Wednesday night. King is a, a second one. And the third one is what? Prophet. They all start with a P, so they're easy to remember. Prophet, priest, and king. Who is King Uzziah? I ruined it. Who is Uzziah? He fulfills the office of a king, right? He fulfills the office of a king, and that's exactly the lane that God put him in. He appointed him king over the southern kingdom. As Uzziah's confidence begins to build, one day he decides that he's gonna go himself into the temple to make incense before the Lord. So what is he doing? He is not only carrying himself in his rightful crown, and that's the lane that God has put him in, that is the lane of the kingship. Now he is assuming the role of priesthood. And he's going and he's assuming himself to be a priest. Why? Because God himself said in Leviticus, only the priest is to come into the temple. You say, okay, hold hold on, Lamar. Maybe there's a chance that he did not know or understand what he was doing. Let me tell you something about a Jewish king. A Jewish king from the very, very, very beginning stages of life were taught the law. That's all they were taught. It was their schoolmaster. And every single day from the moment they begin to walk to the dying breath, here's what they were taught, the law. It was impounded upon their brains over and over and over and over again. I believe that King Uzziah could quote a lot of the Old Testament and quote a lot, excuse me, a lot of the old, the law that God had given in Leviticus. Why? Because he was trained that way. He was trained to know and understand the law. So he knew full and well what he was doing and going into the temple and making incense before the Lord knowing that that was a violation of the law. But we also know he knew he, what he was doing because of verse 17, it says, and Azar, uh, uh, excuse me, Azariah, yes, the priests went in after him and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men and they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, it, uh, excuse me, it, it, par- it appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are uh, consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither uh, shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. So again, we understand that he knew full and well what he was doing because of his upbringing, but he is, he's, he's literally cut off by 80 priests. 80 priests come in after Uzziah and they say, hold on there, mister. You're not allowed to come in here. You know the law. You're violating God's honor, it says, by coming in and assuming the role of priesthood. You're not the priest, you're just the king. Any king who is walking with God would know and understand that no matter how you good at your job, you better stay in your lane. No matter how good you are at your job, it doesn't matter how good of a king he was, he was just that, a king. And I, I, man, we just heard a really good message on Sunday night on how we are never in the position to superb the word of God. We are never put into that position where we have now gained the ability because we're so uh, sufficient and we're so self-dependent that we can now begin to superb God's authority. And we can begin to superb the word of God. But Uzziah gives a major indicator of unbrokenness and unshatteredness because what does he do next? What does he do next? Look at verse number 19. It says, Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priest and the house of the Lord from beside the incense 
altar. He gives off a major indicator of an unbroken and an uncontrite spirit. What is that? He refused to listen to the counsel that God had placed in his life. I could park it right here. Maybe I will. A major indicator of a believer who has lost their broken spirit and is no longer humble before the sight of God is when they begin to reject the authority and reject the godly counsel that God has placed in their life. I'm not just talking about the youth either. I could talk about the youth and how you ought to listen to your parents and how you ought to listen to Brother Dave and the youth pastor and how they're just trying to save you from the destruction that is to come. But let let me talk to the adults in here. Have you, ever, have you ever neglected? Have you ever forsook the counsel of your pastor? Did you know that God has appointed Pastor Farinella in your life for that very reason? To give you godly counsel, to give you godly advice? <coughs> so that's exactly what he does is he neglects and forsakes the godly counsel that has been given to him by God. The very moment he neglects that counsel of God, through the priests, God strikes him with leprosy. The very moment. I mean, as soon as the Bible says as he's got his, the incense in his hand and he's ready to make that sacrifice or he's ready to make that incense and offer it before the Lord, God strikes his forehead where all are able to see. He's stricken with leprosy. One who was shattered and broken before God got to the point where he was too big and too strong to stand under the authority of the Lord. Because of the prosperity that God had brought through Uzziah's shatteredness and brokenness, Uzziah began to take liberties upon himself that did not belong to him. I'm gonna read that statement again and I want you to hear it. Because of the prosperity that who brought? Because of the prosperity that God had brought through Uzziah's shatteredness and brokenness, Uzziah began to take liberties upon himself that did not belong to him. And God got to the point where God had to humble Uzziah. First Peter chapter five, we read it a few weeks ago. Whose responsibility does it fall upon to humble? Ourselves, right? Humble yourselves before God, but you know God's gonna get his you'd be a lot better off humbling yourself than like Uzziah, having to be humbled by God. God humbles Uzziah. What about the rest of the reign of King Uzziah? (coughs) Surely a man that has been raised and knows the law, and again, I'm not saying that he's perfect, but we come to this offense that that has occurred in his life. Surely now he's gonna come to that point of shatteredness and brokenness. Scripture doesn't say that, and I really don't know, but you know what we do know? He still had to suffer the ramifications of his mistake. Look at verse number uh, 21. And Uzziah the king was a leper until the day of his death. He was a leper until the day of his death, death and dwelt in a several house being a leper for he was cut off from the house of the Lord and Jotham his son was uh, over the king's house judging the people of the land. The greatest tragedy in the life of Uzziah was not the leprosy but it was the fact that he was now cut off from the house of the Lord. He was cut off from the blessing of the Lord. Why? He was arrogant. We don't like that word. He was arrogant. He was prideful. He was self-sufficient. He was living independently of God. Gets worse in verse 23. So Uzziah slept with his fathers, that's, that's when he dies, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the burial which belong, uh, belonged to the king. So they said, uh, excuse me, for they said, he is a leper, and Jotham, look at this, and Jotham his son reigned in his stead. So he passes from the scene and his son Jotham rises up in his stead and begins to take ownership of the kingdom and he begins to reign. What kind of king is he going to be? Turn one chapter over in in chapter number 27. In verse number two, it says of of Jotham, Jotham, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. 
off to a good start, just like his father. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to his father Uzziah did. How be it? What a sad, sad word to read in scripture. You read about Jotham, he's leading the nation of Israel in this, and he's doing right in the sight of the Lord. How be it? He entered not into the temple of the Lord and the people did yet corruptly. Like father, like son. Exactly as the father did, the son does. Uh, starts off strong and then he fumbles the ball. What happened? What happened in the life of Jothan? Okay, here we go. Because of Uzziah's arrogance in his life, it led to apathy in the life of his son. One generation breeds arrogance. The next generation breeds apathy. We could say it this way. Uzziah had the I got this syndrome. Jotham had the who needs this syndrome. Arrogance to apathy. One generation, again, arrogance in one generation to apathy in the next generation. Pause for just a moment. Let me just talk to you. We're very quick, and I'm part of this generation. We're very quick to, we're, we're very quick to condemn the millennial generation and generation Z. Why? Because we're so apathetic. We're so apathetic to the things of God. But did you know that a generation had to raise this generation? We, we had, someone had to raise my generation. And you know what happened? The generation that preceded me, they, they led this way, arrogantly. They led arrogantly, and now we are reaping the, the we're reaping, uh, reaping the, uh, the uh, ramifications of the sin of the previous generation where we have raised a bunch of apathetic people towards the things of God. It does not stop there. Jotham dies. Jotham dies and his son begins to reign. Let's do this again. Raise your hand if you know the answer. Who's Jotham's son? Anybody? Who's Jotham's son in scripture? If you don't know, I'll, I'll give you three seconds. One, two, Ahaz, you win a trip around the world, Brother Greg. <laughs> Ever heard of Ahaz? Did Ahaz do right in the sight of God? Skip forward to chapter 28 and verse number one. Ahaz, okay, so you've got Uzziah passes from the scene. He did right in the sight of God, but he fumbled. And then you've got Jotham who did right in the sight of God, but he fumbled. Ahaz raises up, he takes the kingdom, verse number one of chapter 28. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. And he, uh, excuse me, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, but... He did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord. So Uzziah's arrogance led to Jotham's apathy, which led to this in the life of Ahaz, apostasy. Apostasy, a complete forsaking of God and a complete rebellion against God. What does Ahaz do? Verse number 24 of the same chapter, it says, And Ahaz gathered together the vestals of the house of God and cut into pieces the vestals of the house of God and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. Complete and total rebellion against God. Complete apostasy in the life of Ahaz the king. Where did it all start? Where did it all start in the lineage of Uzziah? We find it in 2 Chronicles chapter number 26 and verse 15. We already read it. And he, that is Uzziah, made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks and to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad and he was marvelously helped till he was strong. And there began the downward spiral of his family and the southern kingdom. The moment that Uzziah began to live independently of God, it began the domino effect in the southern kingdom of Israel that would be felt for generations to come. 
So knowing that, and knowing what we know about the reign of King Uzziah, does it not change a little bit the context of scripture in Isaiah chapter number six? In the year that King Uzziah died, go back there. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. Isaiah saw the unfolding of King Uzziah's reign right before his own eyes. And because of this experience, it caused Isaiah to understand that God uses those that are of a humble and contrite spirit to accomplish his will. Isaiah understood that contriteness looked like this. Self is reduced and God is exalted, not the other way around. The key to brokenness and shatteredness is being played out looks like this. Self will be reduced. Secondly, and we're, we're almost done very quickly. Secondly, sin will be revealed. Sin will be revealed. Look at verse five of our text in Isaiah chapter six. Then said I, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. So again, Isaiah gets a healthy glimpse of who God is and where God is. I saw the Lord in the same year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And then he says this. What what, what was the aftermath of that? Woe is me. Woe is me for I am undone. Something interesting to note about this Uzziah, the prophet, is he loves that word woe. Loves that word woe. If you read the book of Isaiah, you read all 66 verses. I I should have just checked this. I didn't check it. But I know it appears a number of times, that word woe. Look at verse number, uh, excuse me, look at chapter, actually don't even look, I'll just reference it. Chapter number five, very quickly, woe unto them, verse number eight. Woe unto them, verse number 11. Woe unto them, verse number 18. Woe unto them, verse number 20. Woe unto them, verse 21. Woe unto them, verse 22. That's just in chapter five. Isaiah loves that word woe. Within the first five chapters of the book of Isaiah, here's the message that he's bringing. Woe unto them, or woe unto the nation that has forgotten God. That's his message. And that's a pretty good message, by the way. I don't want to condemn his message because that's a great message. And he's a prophet. A preacher has every right to point the finger in the face of the congregation and say, woe unto them. Woe unto them. Here, again, the message is this. Woe unto the nation who has forsaken God. And then in chapter five, he brings it even closer to home by bringing in the northern kingdom into the con- conversation and saying that because of the neglect of the things of God, Israel and the northern kingdom has landed themselves into captivity. Woe unto them. But notice the paradigm shift that happens in our chapter. In chapter number six, in verse number five, then said I, woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What happens when he gets the right perspective of God? What happens in the life of this prophet when he gets the right perspective of God and who he is and where he is? Not woe unto them, it changes to woe unto me, for I am undone. He is no longer comparing himself laterally, but now he's comparing himself horizontally, and now he does not measure up. And again, I'm not condemning the prophet Isaiah because he had every right to preach to the southern and the northern kingdom, woe unto them, but now he's saying, hold on a second, time out, let me focus on myself for a moment. Woe unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips, for I am undone. You know what that is? Shatteredness, contriteness, brokenness. Isaiah understood that the key to brokenness and shatteredness being played out looks like this. Self is reduced and he is exalted. He knew that sin would be revealed. Lastly, number three, very quickly. Service will be required. Service will be required. Look at verse number eight. It says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, 
Here am I, send me. Isaiah got a healthy dose of who God was and where God was and it caused him to reduce himself. It revealed his sin and here was the aftermath of that. Again, he's looking and he sees the Lord high lifted up. He gets a fresh perspective of who God is and where God is and here's his, here's his response. He lowers himself, his sin is revealed and he says, here am I, send me. A broken and shattered person isn't above doing the service of the Lord. A broken and a contrite person, someone who is shattered before the Lord, someone who God is going to use is not above doing the service for the Lord. Why? Because shattered people are serving people. A shattered person is someone who is constantly looking for opportunities to serve. What caused Isaiah to come to that point where he turned the finger from being outward and started pointing it inward? He saw the Lord high and lifted up. What did that do? It caused his self to be reduced and his sin to be revealed, which ultimately led to this. His, servant, his service was required. Here am I, send me. So again, and can we put them up on the screen and we'll close with this. What does it mean to be shattered? To be shattered is to be stripped of our self-sufficiency and no longer living independently of God. The opposite of that could be found in the life of Uzziah at the end of his life. Someone who was strong in and of himself, who reached the point where he was no longer having to depend upon God for his success, but now began to depend upon himself. Shatteredness, uh, to be shattered is to be stripped of our self-sufficiency and no longer living independently of God. That's the door. Here's the key. The key to shatteredness is seeing the Lord as he is and seeing ourselves as we are. What does that look like? Self will be reduced, sin will be revealed, and service will be required. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us tonight. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak. And I do pray that uh, this message would resonate with somebody tonight, Lord. Maybe there's those who need to lower their opinions of themselves and exalt their opinion of you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have the spirit of Uzziah, that because of who you are and us seeing you in the position that you are and the person that you are, it'd bring us to that spirit of contriteness and brokenness where we would say, I am undone. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Lord, I pray that we'd have the spirit of Uzziah and, and, and Lord, that we would look at you for who you are. You're the exalted, the high, and the lofty one. And that would result in us having a more realistic opinion of ourselves. We're sinners, we're finite, Lord. We're, destruct, uh, we're, we're, we're destructive people, Lord. We're not sanctified, but Lord, because of your son, Jesus Christ, we have salvation, Lord. And that ought to cause us to come to that point of service pray that you'd speak to hearts tonight, Lord, and, and uh, dismiss us with your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand to your feet.